Exchange programs, studying abroad, working abroad, in other words, opportunities. These are a few things I can say off the top of my head about having an international exam. But of course, there's so much more to it. Today we're talking about some of the most important English international exams as well as how to study for them. I am Adolfo Ferraz, English teacher at Cultura Inglesa. I can safely say that international exams have changed my career. My name is Luis Fernando. I've been in Cultura Inglesa for around 10 years. Um, and yeah, I, I know a thing or two about exams, so hopefully I can help here as well. I'm sure you will. And this is Cultura Inglesa Podcast. Hello. And welcome to the Cultura Inglesa podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. This month, we are talking about studying. For this episode in particular, we are talking about international exams. So, um, Luis, as you mentioned, you know a thing or two about international exams. Uh, yes. What are some of the most popular English international exams and what are their purposes? Well, um, from the top of my head, I can, I can uh, say Cambridge, TOEFL and IELTS. Mm -hmm. They're probably the most sought after exams in the world. Sure. Sure. Yes, uh, Cambridge, the Cambridge exams, TOEFL and IELTS. Uh, well, TOEFL stands for uh, Test of English as a Foreign Language. IELTS stands for the International English Language Testing System. Well, and then when it comes to Cambridge, now we have a, a lot to talk about, right? <laughs> uh, the University of Cambridge has a department which is the Cambridge University Press and Assessment and this department from the University of Cambridge is responsible for organizing and devising, uh, doing everything related to the exams from Cambridge. Very interesting. Yes. And, uh, and tell me, Louis, uh, why are they so important? Well, first and foremost, they, they prove your level of English, right? Um, they are, they, of course, they are used for a variety of reasons. Uh, but Cambridge, for instance, uh, every Cambridge exam tests a specific level. So we, we have the Cambridge proficiency, which is the highest, Cambridge advanced, and so on and so forth. So in this case, I consider Cambridge to be more of a certification, you know, uh, in terms of like a diploma, quote unquote. Uh -huh. Right. Sure. Uh, it proves that, okay, I have reached a certain level and here's the proof of it. Right. Uh, on the other hand, we also have IELTS and TOEFL, 
And people take people sit for these exams for a variety of reasons. Um, I'll mention a few here, though. For example, uh, some of some of the people who sit for I for IELTS and TOEFL, they want to move abroad. They want to secure a job position or a promotion, perhaps, right? Um, maybe they want to study abroad, and therefore they need IELTS and TOEFL. So these are some of the main reasons why people sit for these exams. Yes. Yes, I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, I loved what you mentioned about the uh, validation. Uh, an international exam is an official document that certifies that you have a certain level. So that's that's what I find absolutely uh, fantastic about having an international exam. is actually holding a document that states that you have a certain level. And what you mentioned about Cambridge uh, and TOEFL and IELTS, it's true. TOEFL and IELTS, they are a multi-level and Cambridge, they test the level, right? It varies a little bit. And when it comes to the purposes, yes, you, you are right. If you want to live abroad, work abroad, uh, depending, on, depending on your segment, Uh, having an international exam is, is something so incredibly important for your career, career prospects as well. Yeah, I can safely say that. Definitely. Um, But just, uh, just to clarify something here, Adolfo, um, Cambridge, yes, it could be seen as kind of a diploma, again, quote unquote. Uh, but I, I don't mean that certain institutions, for example, companies and universities, I don't mean that they don't accept Cambridge as a form of uh, certification. Um, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but uh, we have some differences uh, between these certifications. For example, Cambridge has no expiration date, mm -hmm. and IELTS and TOEFL, they do. So some companies, they, they do prefer that you have like a fresh certification that proves that your English is actually fresh as opposed to Cambridge. Uh, for example, let's suppose I, I have, I, I've had the Cambridge for 10 years. Who, who can guarantee that my, my English level has been uh, maintained? Do you know what I mean? I do, yes, yes, you, you are right, you are right. That's why some international exams such as TOEFL and IELTS, they are multi-level and they are valid for two years because depending on your score the score that you you get will be valid for two years and the cambridge exams they don't expire but still some companies depending on um, the position you you uh, might be applying for they may require uh, a fresh a fresh certificate so to speak right <laughs> exactly that, that's, that's what i meant exactly yeah All these exams are designed taking into consideration the common European framework of a reference of languages, also known as the CFR. What is it, Luis, and why is this uh, so relevant? Well, uh, it's important to emphasize, just like you said, it has European right in the in the name. So uh, it's important to emphasize that it's not only for English, but actually for many European languages. Um, you know, they're the most important ones that are spoken, at least, like German, French, right? But basically, it is a framework where you can see where you are in terms of your level of English and what requirements 
you should have to be in that level. Uh, it, it's also important to notice that it ranges from A1 uh, being the most uh, the most basic of, of the levels and it goes up to c2 which is mastery or proficiency yes yes you are right so um the levels they are a1 a2 b1 b2 c1 c2 a1 being the speaker who is a real beginner up until c2 uh, proficient speaker of a foreign language uh, Again, a speaker who is proficient, and uh, and the 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 best thing about the having an international exam is that it states this level. You take the exam, if you pass, you have a certificate that states that you have reached this level, considering your listening, your reading, your writing, your speaking, and your awareness of the language, your use of English uh, in general. So this is a uh, very interesting. And if I might add, Adolfo, uh, it's, it's actually a good idea to, um, I would say, whenever you're writing a resume or an interview, it would be very wise to refer to your level of English using the CEFR as it is, you know, kind of a universal language when it comes to leveling candidates and students. So by saying that you are B2 or C1, uh, you are going to be better understood and most people are going to have a better idea of what you, what your English level actually is. Yes, you are, you are so right. We are well aware that, you know, lying in your curriculum is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> people <laughs> are going to find out, yeah. Yes, people will find out sooner or later. But, but, but uh, I also believe that a lot of people, they don't know what it means like okay i am basic i am intermediate i am an independent speaker i am advanced i am proficient what do these words actually mean if you don't have anything to rely on so anything to resort to when you need some sort of reference that's why the common european uh, framework the cfr that's why it exists so it's a trustworthy framework that is there for people, uh, for courses, universities, uh, a, a myriad of enterprises to rely on when when it comes to uh, proficiency in a foreign language, right? Yeah, it show it has a very specific descriptions of again um, where you should be and what you should be able to do or not do at that level. So it's yes. really reliable, just like you mentioned. Yes, exactly. So we have the A1 and A2 levels. They are uh, basic levels for intermediate. We have B1 and B2. Uh, so this be a speaker who is B2, for example, is already an independent speaker of English. And uh, C1 is an advanced and a C2 speaker uh, is a proficient speaker, right? So yes, exactly. And uh, it's very, very interesting. And it's important to mention that uh, the TOEFL and the IELTS, as we we discussed, they are multi-level. So you take the exam, and depending on your score, it will state that you are A2, B1, B2, or C1. This depends on your score. Cambridge, the Cambridge exams, on the other hand, now considering the ones um, that are, are very popular, such as the B2 first, C1 advanced, and C2 proficiency, just to name a few. They test 
the level. So you take the exam, if you pass, you have a certificate stating that you have the level. So if you take, for example, the C1 advanced and you pass, you will get a certificate stating that you have reached the level C1 in the Common European Framework, right? Exactly. And, um, well, uh, Luis, I, I know you're very experienced. You've been working with exams for, for a while. I've been working with international exams for a while, too. What are some common mistakes that students make when preparing for international English exams? And how can they avoid them? Right. That's, that's a good question. There's no monolithic answer to that, but I'll do my <laughs> best here. But uh, sure. here's, the, here's the thing. Believe it or not, I'm not going to start by mentioning uh, grammar, vocabulary, you know, the, the, the obvious ones. Uh, I will, however, mention some things that I've been noticing, you know, that I have noticed in my, in my career, um, you know, teaching prep courses and, and, and also being an examiner, right? Um, so, first of all, not knowing the test. Believe it or not, this is a thing, uh, and that's why we we stress the importance of uh, taking prep courses. A lot of people they go blindly; they don't know the test format, they don't know what they're what they're up against, right? So that would be a, probably the, the biggest mistake ever: not knowing the test. Uh, it's like Sun Tzu says in his famous book, Art of War. Know your enemy, right? Your enemy. So you have to know your enemy, <laughs> enemy of course, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and also, the not knowing what's expected from you in terms of assessment, what is being assessed, what's the criteria, right? Uh, so that that's also a mistake. You, you should definitely. I mean, you, you don't have to know every single point, uh, but you should at least have an idea of what overall what's being asked from you, what's being assessed. Um, and also strategies, right? Not not having the, the strategies to to tackle the the, the tasks during the exam, um, and because you know from my experience here, strategies they are time savers, and as you know, Adolfo, time management is is a big issue for for most people, right? Yes, yes, you are right. Yeah, I could. Uh, I mean. You, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It was perfect. I mean, one thing, and and that's so true. A lot of a lot of candidates they think they 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 have a good a solid knowledge of English, which can be true, okay. But one thing is having the level, passing the exam, is something completely different. So it's not only it's not only about studying for the exam. It's about studying the exam, as you said. So this is uh, so incredibly important. I mean, okay, I'm going to, and that's why the prep courses, the preparation courses, they are very, very important because in prep courses, the teachers, they can, you know, dissect different parts of the exam, prepare student, prepare the students for, 
what is expected from one or another exercise, a few strategies that might come in handy for one or another uh, part of the exam, and feedback. It's the so-called guided study hours. You, you know, we the candidates, they need guided study hours to understand the exam in order to pass. And on, on top of what you said, I, I also agree, not knowing the assessment, I mean, what am I going to be assessed here? Okay, I'm going to listen, for example, to an interview. Okay, I may know that for that, I should listen for specific information. I should pay attention to elements in the interview, such as a paraphrasing, for example, or maybe the tone of voice that might suggest irony or something or another figure of speech, you know. Yeah, when they raise their, their voices or, you know, like intonation, just like you mentioned, uh, it, it's usually a, an indicative of, oh, this is the answer, right? Just like we do in real life. Whenever you emphasize a point, it's because that is the main point and therefore it's probably the answer. Right. Exactly. So these little, little cues that um, are provided during the exam. Exactly, exactly. And time management. <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially, I mean, in my experience, especially in, in the writing part, time management can be really tricky. Yeah. Um, the reading too. Reading uh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> People try to read like word by word and they, they try to read slowly and it, that's not the best approach, right? So the prep course, the prep courses, they, they equip you with tools and, and tips, you know, to, okay, how, how can I read this, this big text here? Uh, in a short amount of time, but at the same time, uh, in, a, in a very efficient way, mm -hmm. so that I have the tools to answer the questions here. So that's what I meant by strategies as time savers. Uh, how, how can I invest some minutes here in my, um, my how can I say, it, my first read in a way that I, I'm investing time for the, the remaining exercises uh, related to that text, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, and, and that's what I said. I mean, knowing the exam is important. It's important. Uh, there is much more to international exams than, than meets the eye. You know, you really need to understand what what is coming. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I wouldn't have passed the, uh, the the CPE like ten years ago or so if, if I hadn't if I hadn't taken the, the prep course. Oh yeah. Um, I had the English, but then I realized. From day one in the prep course, that wasn't enough. Some crazy exercise that you've never seen before. Right? Exactly, exactly. The the C2 proficiency, formerly known as CPE, Certificate of Proficiency in English. Yes, same thing. Had I not taken the prep course, I'm sure I wouldn't have passed. <laughs> <laughs> This was really, really important. I understood exactly what to do, every part. I, I had the chance to experiment with different strategies that worked for me, mm -hmm. because this is important too. People are different, people learn differently, yeah. and there are a number of strategies that may be useful to some candidates and not to other candidates. So in the end, you have the prep courses. Uh, they are helpful because you can find your way out, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, let's say, you can understand more, get your bearings, and then you are you are able to find the strategies that work best for you and yes without a prep course i wouldn't have passed the, the cp <laughs> no 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 it was really really difficult but again i can definitely say and and i guess you you will agree with me 
when I took it, when I passed, it was so rewarding. It, it was is rewarding. It was such an achievement. Definitely. Fantastic. You feel great. You feel great about your English, right? Yes. And yourself. Yes. Oh, I can definitely say, of course, we are English teachers, but I can say that uh, having the C2 proficiency, which is uh, the highest certificate, one of the most important by, by Cambridge, having the certificate has changed my career, period. Same, same here. Couldn't agree more. Yes, yes. Are there any particular tips or strategies that can help students perform their best on international exams? Uh, yeah, I, I can name a few here. Uh, basically, what again? What I have noticed, uh, you know, throughout my career and throughout, you know, uh, teaching the prep courses, really, uh, most candidates they're, they're not aware. And again, it, it, it ties to what we said before about knowing the test and knowing the criteria. They, they go and they, they don't really show their English. I mean, they know it's a test, but uh, they, they don't really act as if they, they are being tested, uh, if you know what I mean. Uh, but what I'm trying to say here is uh, they're not showing their English. They're just using basic stuff. I'll give some examples here. Uh, for instance, instead of say, yeah, they, instead of using more sophisticated language, they use words like "and," "but," and "I think," like uh, 15 times throughout the exam. And one of the one of the criteria is vocabulary range and accuracy, which means vocabulary range means um, variation. How far can you stretch your vocabulary? How far can you show your vocabulary repertoire? Uh, and the same, the same applies for grammar, right? We have grammar accuracy and, and range. So what happens if you just use I think and and but throughout the whole exam? Where's the variation? Where's the, you know, where's your English really? So some of the tips that I always give my student is consciously use sophisticated vocabulary and grammar. And this is the hard part, while being as natural as possible, because uh, you, th there is a danger of sounding like a robot and that that's detrimental for your score, right? Um, it, it's not really uh, a main criteria. To be natural is not really the main criteria, but it is, uh, if, if I can say that, it's kind of a sub-criteria, right? You are also being assessed in terms of naturality. Right. Sure. So again, consciously use use sophisticated vocabulary and grammar structures uh, while being being as natural as possible. That's tip number one, right? Uh, tip number two, and a lot of people don't know this, uh, but attempts they count, right? As an examiner, we have this inside knowledge that uh, a candidate who tries sophisticated structures and vocabulary. Uh, even if they make mistakes, um, they receive higher scores because we, we, we have to validate these attempts. We have to, uh, how can I say that? Um, we, we have to... You acknowledge. Thank you. We acknowledge and, and therefore we, we, we reward these candidates for, for trying, you know, something a little more sophisticated. Uh, and I have, a, I have actually a sentence here that's probably going to be in books one day, but basically this is what I say here uh, to my students. It's better to use something advanced and not be perfect than using the basic stuff perfectly. 
So that, that's my quote, you know, that's kind of a mantra that I have my, my students memorize. So Fantastic. use it, it doesn't have to, even if it's not perfect, use something more advanced, then, you know, just use the basic stuff perfectly. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it surely does. Uh, you know, students who are B2, upper intermediate and advanced students that they are willing to take international exams, uh, they have to understand that they, th some of them, they might find themselves in a sort of linguistic plateau. You know, they understand a lot, but when they have to speak, they use, as you said, I think 20 times, good, bad, nice, 30 times. And I often tell them, uh, you know, reaching an advanced level, passing an exam with a good mark, it's it's a lot about doing what you can, but in a different way. So for that, you have to step out of your of your comfort zone. So yes, this is indeed a great tip. Um, yes, fantastic. I would also say, again, we mentioned this at some point in our conversation, but keeping track of time. Uh, having a stopwatch, like for example, if you're practicing writing tasks, for example, for the Cambridge exams, for the C1 advanced and C2 proficiency, you have an hour and a half to write two different compositions. Have a stopwatch, see how long you take, because doing the task within the time limit is also a skill. And, um, and as for the speaking, uh, something simple, uh, for example, there are a few tasks, depending on the, the exam, that you have to speak for about a minute. Record yourself. Listen to, to yourself. See if you can plan an answer that is carefully planned and logically sequenced with what you mentioned, interesting pieces of vocabulary, vocabulary uh, throughout in within a minute, for example. So this is important, listening to yourself, thinking about how you can improve and keeping track of time on top of everything you said, I would say they are very important tips too. Absolutely, as Adolfo, and time yourself, uh, definitely record yourself. I couldn't agree more again. And actually, you know, it just, just dawned on me here that everything I said here go, go, goes hand in hand with what you said. You know, everything I, I mentioned here, can also be used in the writing activities. Should should definitely let me rephrase that. It should be used in the writing test uh, because uh, the the writing criteria is very similar in terms of um, vocabulary and grammar. You also have to show your vocabulary and grammar in the writing test, right? And then uh, Adolfo, just just to finalize here, my my, my tips. Uh, tip number three would be to quote unquote memorize. Okay, Please take it with a pinch of salt. Um, memorizing or having re ready in your head at least three options for the following. I think and and by. So these are my biggest nemesis here that I always try to, to combat uh, with my students. I think it's probably one of the biggest here. I have a beef with I think. With I think <laughs> Because, yeah. uh, people people cling on to I think way too much, way too hard, and we, we have so many other beautiful expressions such as uh, I reckon, to my mind, as far as I'm concerned, um, to uh, to my mind, in my the, eyes, the way I see it, the way example. I see it, right? Personally, uh, for for and 
we have so many good expressions as well. Um, I mean, adding information, right? No, not exactly the word in, but to add the information, for example, therefore, moreover, in addition to, right? And, and, and for but, which is the contrast word, I mean, the sky's the limit here, really, because we have uh, despite, in spite of, however, which is my personal favorite. Right? Sure. So, again, to summarize, Kind of memor again, memorize, quote unquote, um, at least three options for I think, and and but. That's gonna that's gonna make a huge impact and difference in your exam. So true, so true. Now it's time for How Do You Say, the part of our show in which we ask each other vocabulary questions related to the conversation we have just had. Um, Luis, at some point in, uh, in our conversation, you used uh, an expression that I really liked. You used uh, the expression sought after. What does it mean? Yeah. Uh, basically, it comes from the word seek, S-E-E-K, um, and of course the participle sought. So it's something that people look for the most, right? Um, something that people really want to do or to have, so therefore sought after. I'll give an example in a sentence. Uh, IELTS, exam, IELTS exams are highly sought after by those who want to move abroad. Great. Very good. All right. Yeah. And, well, I do have a question for you as well. You, well, um, we're talking about the common European framework. Uh, however, this word framework might not be clear for everybody. Uh, would you mind elaborating a little more on that? Sure. Uh, a framework is a particular set of rules, ideas, or beliefs uh, in which you can use in order to have a reference or decide what to do. Okay. Uh, in the case of the Common European Framework, it is a set of can-dos that are very, uh, they are explained in details, considering the basic levels up until the proficient levels. So, in the context of the CFR, that's it. But a framework is this set of ideas, rules, and beliefs that you can use in order to decide what to do. It's kind of a guidance, a structure. A guidance, exactly, exactly. Great, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, again, you you used great expressions during our conversation. One of them was "sit for an exam." Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think students they take exams standing up, but yeah, let's, get, let's get the jokes out of the way, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it had to happen. Anyway, yeah. what, what does it mean? Well, that, that we, we have these collocations, right? In every language, really, not, not only in English. So we have expressions that are more common or, or rather more appropriate for certain um, contexts. So sit to sit for an exam or, believe it or not, you can also use to sit an exam without mm -hmm. a preposition at all, mm -hmm. just means to do the exam, to take the test, right? Uh, but for, for some reason, it's, it's kind of a... Weird if you say, Oh, I'll do the exam, I'll take the exam. It's not really the best choice of words for this. So, uh, use sit for an exam or sit an exam. 
great. Well, and okay, you you also used something that I really like, which is uh, the expression um, "something will come in handy." Um, what's that exactly, Adolf? Well, uh, "coming handy" is is a phrase. If something comes comes in handy, it is useful for a particular purpose. For example, keeping track of time while preparing for an exam comes in handy. Okay, it's useful for a particular purpose. Useful, pretty much. For instance, for instance, this, this podcast will definitely come in handy for those who are, you know, preparing for exams, right? No doubt about it. <laughs> well, um, another another great uh, expression you used during our conversation was to cling onto something. What does it mean? Right. Um, I'll be honest, it just came out like that. Uh, now that I have to explain, uh, okay, let's give it a try. Uh, basically, it's when you hold on to something, um, how can I say that, tight. Uh, for example, you, you, you don't want to give up on that. For example, if you're just using I think, I think, I think, and you, you don't want to use something different. You have some kind of resistance. If you're clinging on to something, you are having some, some sort of resistance to do something different, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you can, you can cling on to a person and the person is going to probably feel suffocated, right? Just to illustrate a little more in other contexts. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Great. Uh, that, that, was, that was kind of a tricky explanation. But speaking of, speaking of tricky... Uh, you also used it in your uh, somewhere in the in the podcast, right? So, what is how, how would you explain tricky? Well, uh, if something is tricky, is an adjective, right? Uh, but if something is tricky, it is difficult to deal with, and it needs careful attention or skill. So we can definitely say that many questions uh, when you're taking international exams, many questions are in many tasks they are tricky because they will require a certain knowledge you you really need to pay to pay close attention because otherwise you may not get the right answer so they are tricky okay that makes sense and just uh, again going back to my expression because that was tricky to explain uh, you know let me resort here to the dictionary to just just to clarify so according to the dictionary is to be unwilling to lose something or to stop doing something. For example, you are unwilling to stop using I think a million times in the exam. Mm -hmm. I think that's clear now, right? Yeah, totally clear. Yeah, crystal clear. <laughs> yeah. And if you haven't heard these terms in our conversation, you may, you may listen to this episode again and try to spot them all. This is Our Voices, where your voice matters just as much as ours. At Cultura Inglesa, we believe in creating a community where everyone's thoughts and opinions are valued, which is why we're thrilled to introduce speeches from the 8th edition of Your Voice, our public speaking contest, into our show. Last year's theme was We Expect Too Much From Our Heroes, and this week we will listen to Caroline Romano and Gabriela Almeida. Well, good afternoon. My name is Carol, and I'm on the Sun Times. 
Do we really know what a hero is? People think that heroes only do extraordinary things and never make mistakes. But I believe we all can be heroes by taking attitudes that make a difference. A recent example is what happened during the pandemic. We hoped the doctors would save all the lives that were at risk and the science would create the magic vaccine formula within a few months. But they weren't able to perform their job exactly the way people were expecting. Actually, some of them even had psychological problems while dealing with, with such a delicate situation. Because after all, they are human beings, normal people like us. However, in my humble opinion, most of them were in fact true heroes, working tirelessly to accomplish their job in the best way they could. Let's now think about us, the ordinary people. I believe that each person who stayed at home, respected the sanitary protocols in order to avoid putting more people in danger, had a heroic attitude. Because being a hero is also about making sensible choices. You can choose to be a hero for something or someone to you. If you don't know where to start, look for a volunteer project and choose a cause that you identify with. In my case, every day I choose to be a hero for the environment by adopting sustainable attitudes such as being a vegetarian and avoiding the use of pollutant items. With every meat I stop eating, an animal will save it. With every plastic I stop using, I preserve marine life. So instead of expecting too much from our heroes, we may ourselves help solve the little problems of everyday lives. Because being a hero is not about saving the whole world. Being a hero is about saving one person's world whenever possible. Think about it. When I started to think of how should I start this speech, my first thought was why do we need heroes and why they are so important to us? Then I realized that we need heroes because they bring hope to us. And when I say heroes, I'm not only talking about Superman or Captain Marvel. I'm talking about someone who appears in your life and show you that you can be a better person. And that's incredible because you can see that one person can make the difference and change the whole world. But the problem starts when you put a person on a pedestal. Because in the pedestal, you create an image of this person. And we are not, we are not image. We are flesh and bone. And when you see that image of this person, you see someone who doesn't cry, who doesn't get angry or upset, who doesn't make any wrong decision in their lives. And that's not fair for either of you, because someday you'll get disappointed because you'll see someone crying, getting angry and maybe doing wrong things. And you'll be like, oh, my God, what happened to my hero? He's supposed to be there and help me be an image, stay in the spotlight that I put them on. And that situation reminds me of a book called The Lost Hero. In this book, you see the main character called Jason Grace. And Jason, through all the book, he passes through a lot of things. And those things make him become like a hero to people. And he starts to say, I don't like this. Why should I be the one in the spotlight? I didn't ask you to be here or to be someone else's hero. I just want to do some right things and people are looking at me expecting that I'll make decisions for them. I don't like this. And that's why I think you shouldn't expect too much from your heroes because in the end of the day, they are just like you. Thank you. Wow, that was something, wasn't it? Simply amazing. Would you like to be part of your voice? So stay tuned to Culture Inglesa podcast and we will let you know when this year's editions submissions begin.
Well, it has been great to talk about such a relevant topic. Thank you so much, Luis Fernando. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Adolfo. It was such a pleasure to have you today. Next week, we'll be talking about the upcoming holiday, Easter. Do you like Easter eggs? <laughs> I certainly do. It's going to be really interesting, so stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram and tag us at Cultura Inglesa Oficial with your opinions. Once again, thank you very much, Luis Fernando, and see you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for new chapters of the Cultura Inglesa podcast.